This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny. And this is Mike White, and you can find me on Twitter at I am Mike White. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. So not to call anybody out, Uh-oh. but I'm looking at IGN.com right now, mm-hmm. and they ranked the uh, the 1980s remakes. Like the, okay. okay. All the movies from the 80s that were remade in the last 10, 15 years. Okay. okay. And they're ranking them, uh, and it's a, on a 10-point scale. And I, and I don't know if this they just gave points recently – or they just rank them in terms of how they rated them uh, as they came out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, like, did they look back at all 20 of these and say, okay, this one, this one, this one? Or did they just say, hey, in the last 13 years, this this is how we've graded them and here's how they stack up? Okay. I don't know what hmm. that is. Uh, the number one, it, which got a 9 out of 10 score out of IGN, was the Evil Dead remake. Which I I get that it wasn't my favorite movie of the year, but I can get that. Okay. But uh, the number two is the Friday the Thirteenth remake. Oh, oh. Which blows my mind. Right. Because mm. that was not great. And you had an, a good analysis of that remake on obsessiveviewer.com. I did. Yeah. I did. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. So I just thought I'd I'd throw that out there. Yeah. It's interesting. I can't really think of. I mean, obviously there are tons of '80s movies. Uh, that have been remade, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. Kind of, <laughs> what else is on the list? I, I is RoboCop, which comes out came out today. Oh, it did come out came, today. Came out Wednesday. Huh. And, uh, so I'm like, looking forward to that. Is the, so I take it that that got a favorable review. Six point nine out of ten. It's uh, it's number four huh. on that list. You know, in terms of a February release of a remake of a, a movie with a pretty strong following, that's not too bad. That's, it's promising, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Huh. I'll take it. Yeah. I'll probably still go see Lego Movie instead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, hey, guys. Welcome to the Obsessive Viewer. Uh, how you guys doing? I'm delightful. Yeah. Nice. Relieved that that our internet, my internet connection is working today. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yes. That was for our listeners. Yesterday we tried to record. We, we worked on it for about solid hour. I would say oh, 40, least, yeah. 40, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and it was just, it just wasn't working for us. Nope. Um, but on and the, that was my side, bad, eh, you know, it's all or good. Evansville's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but on the bright side, we have 40, 40 minutes of frustrated recording that I'll just tack on to the end of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> bonus. Yeah. Our bonus episode is us just screaming expletives over and over again. We'll while... save that for the season finale. Yes. It sounds a lot like this. So, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of, oh, damn it. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And a so lot that of, was fun. But what are we talking about voice. today now that the microphones are working? Yeah. Well, 
Uh, before we get started, I want to mention that today is uh, the day that we're recording is Wednesday, February 12th, and uh, this will go up uh, tomorrow or, or Friday. I'm not sure which one yet, but um, it's actually the one year one year anniversary of ObsessiveViewer.com. Um, yeah. so yeah, you know, no, but I just want to mention, uh, thank you everyone for, for listening to our podcast. Our podcast is still a, a few months away from the one year anniversary, but, uh, the only reason I started the blog was because, uh, I watched flight and was like, Oh, I kind of have some thoughts on this. And then also I had some thoughts on Netflix and then that kind of snowballed into this. So, and I'm pretty, I'm, 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 you know, obviously pretty, pretty happy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I think we're, I think we got a good thing going here. And, uh, and I'm excited to announce formally the existence of a new website that, um, we're doing, uh, with some friends called obsessivebooknerd.com. Uh, so if you're into reading or like, it, it's, it's a website devoted to our love of reading and just the, romanticizing the art of the written word and it's uh it's gonna it's exciting i'm really excited to 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 do this and and we're gonna we're, we have a lot of fun stuff planned with it and then i'm also going to be still contributing or still posting as much as i can on obsessive viewer but obsessive book nerd is out in the world so check it out and follow it on on twitter at obsessive books and uh facebook find it at the obsessive book nerd um it's gonna be a lot of fun so, um, yeah. Yeah, nice. we're all excited for yes. that. Uh, I'm excited. I'm going to talk about comics and things on there. Uh, and I like the idea of doing some crossovers, talking about comics on there, and then the adaptations back on the uh, the main site, Obsessive Viewer. So Absolutely. It, it should be fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Tiny, you're going to be doing uh, presidential biographies. That's going to be yes. exciting. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be revisiting The Dark Tower and... Uh, goosebumps so it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a lot of fun nice uh so yeah check that out at obsessivebooknerd.com yeah now plugs out of the way what we're talking about today is uh this is our second vault episode uh if you guys remember the first one was um last season uh kind of arbitrary seasons for the show but um it was last season that we did a vault episode where we basically put forth each one of us put forth a movie to put into a hypothetical vault. And this vault is not to, not to close it off from the world, but rather to preserve it in the event of a disastrous attack or, 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 you know, zombie infestation or, you know, anything like that. (laughs) Um, yeah, some kind of post-apocalyptic event. We want this vault to withstand the, to withstand the test of, anything so that it will be preserved so past humanity's existence uh these are those movies that we feel are that important to be preserved in that manner mm-hmm. um so in the last time we did a vault episode we put forth uh pulp fiction back mm-hmm. to the future and um the godfather, the godfather. This time I forgot mine and <laughs> <laughs> the godfather we ended up we didn't have like any plan or anything for it so we just kind of just uh uh free associated the entire podcast pretty much we kind of worked out how we were going to do it on air 
and it <laughs> it turned out that we did a voting system that we all just it ended up putting forth all movies into the vault. So I'm not sure how we're going to do it this time, but probably the same with similar results. Exactly, and it's going to yeah. be just as fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so uh, should we get started on that, or do you guys have anything else you want to bring up or anything? Sounds good. I'm excited. Sweet. Me too. Sweet. Um, we agreed uh, before that Mike was going to get us kicked off. So, Michael? Yeah. Well, I want to start um, by kind of clarifying what a vault movie is. And you kind of explained it a little bit in the intro. Mm-hmm. But uh, what makes a vault movie? And I think there are yes. a few bits of criteria that a movie must meet. I'll use our previous entries as evidence. For starters, a movie should have... Um, there should be a consensus among people that it is well-liked. Movies are entertainment. The best movies are entertaining to all people. Godfather, Pulp Fiction, and Back to the Future were all wildly popular movies upon their release. Uh, and in terms of box office, they all hit number one during their time in theaters. As far as those three are concerned, Back to the Future is probably the best example. It was the number one movie in 1985. And uh, the other two, of course, were successful. However, um, critical acclaim is not necessarily the most important i think there are two top priorities that a movie must have um what they are timeliness and timelessness Hmm. timeliness of course is how a movie is representative of its time period what it did for cinema what it did for a genre uh and what it did for pop culture our previous entries um are great examples pulp fiction is the quintessential 90s movies we we talked about um that we couldn't even think of a a, a movie genre or a, era, a a better movie that defined an era or a genre. Um, similarly, Back to the Future was distinctly Reagan era. Uh, mm-hmm. We even went on to talk about how a remake wouldn't work. Uh, all that the movie is still is still timeless. The other one is timelessness. Uh, of course, this is how a movie holds up over time. While most of our vault movies are pre two thousands. Their themes are easily identifiable and relatable today. Um, all three of the movies have timeliness. They, they ask timeless questions. Uh, for instance, what do criminals and evil people do when they aren't committing crimes? That's Pulp Fiction. Uh, what if you saw your parents in high school? That's Back to the Future. And uh, <laughs> while I'm not as familiar as you guys are with The Godfather, I would say, how do uh, familial roles in the family define actions or motivation? And that's Godfather. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, can we agree that those are kind of the criteria for what make a movie, a vault movie? Yeah, I like it yeah, a lot. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll say that um, I don't put as much stock in critical acclaim and, and universal appeal just because right. I'm – I mean, and I, you didn't you didn't either. Right. Um, but I'll just say that I, I personally, I don't like, I mean, in a future episode, a vault movie for me would probably be Sunshine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then we'll Which have didn't a- didn't have critical success. No, no, it didn't. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, and that'll be a fun discussion for us to, to go through. So, yeah. uh, but that's for a later, a later vault episode. So, yeah. So for me, a movie that comes to mind that certainly has all three of these qualities mm-hmm. uh, is John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I think the movie changed horror forever. If the first criteria is critical acclaim, which we know how much stock we put into that, mm-hmm. I challenge listeners right now to Google scariest movies of all time or best horror movies of all time. 
I guarantee you will be hard-pressed to find a list that doesn't include Halloween. I guarantee it. Yep. Uh, in fact, you probably won't be able to find a list where Halloween isn't in the top five. True. So I feel like I need to defend this. Absolutely. Uh, horror catches a bad rap. Very few horror movies are critically acclaimed. Uh, and in fact, only two have been nominated for Academy Awards. I know we don't hold a whole lot of stack in a, stock no. in Academy Awards, but you know, you kind of have to mention The Exorcist yeah. and Silence of the Lambs. Of course, Silence of the Lambs won Best Picture. Um, so talking about the legitimacy or artistry of horror cinema is not really what this episode is about or what my point is. Uh, but there is an argument for saying that horror is unjustly overlooked. My point is uh, I'm not offering The Exorcist, Silence of the Lambs, or even The Shining, which many consider the greatest horror movie of all time, The Shining. Uh, specifically, if we're talking about critical claim, but that's simple. The Exorcist was made with a budget of over $10 million. The Shining was made for $18 million, uh, And Silence of the Lambs was made with a $19 million budget, um, which are all kind of similar. Halloween was made for $300,000, and people still consider it one of the best. Wow. <laughs> I think that's incredible. Oh, yeah. That yeah. it was made for only $300,000. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't the absolute first horror movie. It wasn't the absolute first slasher movie. Um, but it certainly ignited the flame that was the slasher genre, which burned bright for nearly two decades. Uh, and is one of the, the slasher era is one of the longest eras of horror. And it's clearly evident that Michael Myers is like the granddaddy in the cadre of horror maniacs. Um, Halloween was received so well that countless movies imitate it. Most, uh, most notably Friday the 13th, which spawned nine sequels, a crossover, and a remake, <laughs> which IGN thinks is the second best 1980s remake <laughs> of all time, but whatever. No. <laughs> um, Halloween is timely in its representation of the 70s. It represented the unspoken fear lurking in Midwest suburbia. Um, it's not an unheard of bit of trivia that the movie was pitched as the babysitter murders, which I feel like perfectly represented the fears of its target audience, teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, Laurie Strode, played by the young Jamie Lee Curtis, comes of age in an era of feminism. Um, that is absolutely timely. Mm-hmm. Finally, um, Halloween ushered in a new era as far as, as um, timely timeliness the late 60s early 70s it spent a lot of time fearing the devil and the supernatural movies like rosemary's baby the exorcist the omen uh even carrie in 76 focused on the evil of supernatural but halloween was just a man in a mask with a knife uh which actually was similar to psycho which came years before so there's kind of a cyclical aspect of horror um but this time it really stuck and and slashers caught on We talked about uh, in the past in our Halloween episodes why I think those are particularly scary, but uh, I wouldn't be the only one because slashers caught on for more than two decades. Um, the third criteria, timelessness, is clear. More than 35 years later, Michael Myers is still an icon of horror. Further, while the popularity of slasher movies has waned, there remains the fear of average lives being destroyed by evil in cinema and in real life. Halloween while reverently and inherently 70s, is absolutely timeless. Here are some other notes. <laughs> that, by the way, was my essay, and I planned that out, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of my arguments. Yeah, um, yeah. Some absolutely. other notes. It was the fourth movie and the first horror movie to use Panaglide, 
or the Steadicam. Um, Dean Cundy, who was the DOP on Halloween, was considered a pioneer for his work on Halloween. The scenes from the point of view of the shape were revolutionary and terrifying. Uh, fun fact, half the film's budget was spent on the camera. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. So $150,000 was spent on the camera. 20000 <laughs> was given to Donald Pleasance. Wow. <laughs> there, I believe there are a few examples in movies where tension is built better than in Halloween. One of my favorite quotes about the movie is when Roger Ebert says, we aren't seeing the movie, we're having it happen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I feel like there there's a caveat to be made. Much has been said about the genius of John Carpenter, and the debate is whether he really was as masterful as Halloween suggests or if he just struck gold as a result of the necessity of minimalism in a shoestring budget. I argue that it certainly helps to have that shoestring budget. Uh, but I think there are clear instances of mastery, uh, of tone and tension, especially in the second act of the movie. Um, we also have to remember that no sequel was planned, and the ending was meant to imply that he was coming for your neighborhood, which was terrifying in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a new concept, and I don't think it has ever done better in horror. For all of these reasons, and many, many more, I hope we talk about it, I submit Halloween as my pick for the second episode of the Obsessive Viewer Vault. Eh, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm scared with you. <laughs> no, that was beautifully you, said. Oh, uh, thank you very much, guys. Uh, uh, what do you guys think? Uh, Tiny, do you want to give your thing? Because I know that, uh, shameless plug, you uh, you also did the uh, write-up of Halloween in the, in the remake for the Obsessive Viewer. I did, and that review was heavily, heavily influenced by my bias. Um, <laughs> but if I'm looking at the films objectively, uh, Halloween, the original John Carpenter one, is the better film by far. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, uh, like I said in that review, and, and I said on the podcast during Shocktober, I, it was kind of like a first viewing for me when I watched the uh, 35th anniversary Blu-ray this this past Shocktober. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really blew me away. I, I really can't add to what anything what Mike, Mike said because um, he he just absolutely nailed it. Um, but I'm glad I'm glad that he used the word icon because that that film is absolutely part of you know film iconography. It's when people are talking about movies, just hey, what's what's a movie that's happened in the last hundred years? You can bring up Halloween and people will know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, exactly. It is an iconographer, an, an icon of film. It's it's perfect. So I absolutely agree. Yeah. You know, I don't hate the remake. Uh, and I'll say that Rob Zombie had a vision. And for the first third and the last third of that movie, he absolutely stuck to that vision. And he really made the movie I think he set out to make successfully and did it well. The The problem I have is it's just not for me. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It is for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah it it tug it like hit every note that I like in in horror and and stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, well uh, done. Yeah. Thank yeah. Uh, I agree. Also, pretty much across the board, all your points are are absolutely uh, in agreement with me. Um, I I feel like. You said a lot, so I'm maybe I know, stepping I I'm on. Sorry. Well, it no, no, like, no, no, no. A series no. of bullet points. Yeah. Um. What What this movie is to me is it's a representation of and it, 
for me, I, I can't think of another movie that makes me feel like autumn. I can think of one. Oh, really? Trick or treat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, trick or treat. Trick or treat makes me think of Halloween. Okay, I got um, and in 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 Halloween, ironically or, or interestingly enough, it it makes me feel autumn, which is which is hilarious because it was filmed in well, it was filmed in the spring, right? It's filmed in the spring in South Pasadena, California. You can yeah. see palm trees in the background. Palm trees. <laughs> um, all the all the all the leaves are spray painted or something, are uh-huh. are painted they're, uh, they're, individually. Yeah, they're leaves that they trucked in. Yeah, yeah. Spray painted brown and gold. <laughs> And, uh, and they just would like pack them up in trash bags and move them to other set pieces. Yeah. For wow. various scenes. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I, I can't think of another movie that's inherently the fall season for me. And it's, it used to be just, oh, this movie makes me think of Halloween, but now it's just, this gets me in the mood for just, for just so much that I love about fall. Cause it's probably my favorite season. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, it's just, it's just, I, I love it so much, and I love this the Halloween season as well. But mm-hmm. it's interesting that such a you you think of horror in the horror genre, and you think of it as as genre movies. They're they're movies that they're 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 a set set thing. They're a static thing that okay, I'm gonna go sit down and I'm gonna watch this movie. And I'm gonna get scared by it, or I'm going to be grossed out by it or I'm going to be uncomfortable by it or anything like that. You don't get a lot of, you don't get so much tone in, in horror movies anymore. And that's something that's really, really solidifies, um, Halloween as, as a staple of not only the genre, but of, of film. Mm -hmm. And like that, I, I don't, I don't know if I knew that about the $300,000. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, um, how it, it benefits so much from the minimalist, um, budget they had Yeah, that just, that just the genius of the, the, the Panaglide, mm-hmm. um, and just the long, long takes with that it is so, it, it is masterful in its yeah. tone and in its tension building. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and you you mentioned the the fact that it brings on fall. How genius or fortuitous, I don't I don't know which, <laughs> to rename it Halloween rather than just the babysitter murders. Yeah. And have it set on Halloween. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was perfect. Um it, I don't think it'd be as iconic if, if they didn't do that. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's uh it's uh, it's one of my favorite movies of 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 Shocktober and, and of anything in general. Uh, if you listen to the commentary track that's on the 35th anniversary Blu-ray, with uh, I mean it's a great commentary track, or it's pretty good at least. Um, between it's J- pretty good. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis. It's and, cute. Yeah, that's that's it. Uh, it's Jamie Lee Curtis and John Carpenter. They're clearly they haven't really talked to one another in a while, but it's it's funny because like Jamie Lee Curtis is is when she's not scared by the movie, she's um. She's just doling out all of these these uh compliments to to just the the greatness of the filmmaking and it's all very much warranted. Mm-hmm. Um so it's it's just it's 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 a really masterful piece of cinema and mm-hmm. it's very influential um to, still to this day. It's it's incredibly influential and mm-hmm. I agree completely that it deserves to be in the vault. I'm glad. Glad nice. you like. 
Thank you. Um, do we have anything else to say about Halloween or should we move on to Tiny's? I think Tiny can let her rip. Nice. Cool. Well, uh, this is totally unintentional on, on the part of, of, uh, all of us, but I actually have a, it's basically a horror film to, uh, to, uh, put forth to you guys as well. Uh, it is, uh, David Fincher's 1995 film seven. Yes. Um, we did not plan this out, <laughs> um, but I think, I think maybe you could you could go so far as to say that without Halloween, we might not have films like Seven. Yeah, I think you yeah. could maybe say that. I mean, Seven, it, it's I I think it's a horror film. I mean, I, I for the most part, but it's 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 crime, it's mystery, it's kind of a thriller uh, mm-hmm. more than horror, but it has such a strong horror aspect to it that you you have to bring it up. You can't yeah, you can't say absolutely. that it's you can't say that it's not horror, you know. Right. Um so yeah, this is totally unintentional, just kind of a, a happy accident. And then um the reason I the reason I wanted to bring up this film is because I feel like with my first choice, which was The Godfather, it was such it was like an obvious choice um, to, to use to use some of Mike's terminology or some of his his reasons. Uh, you know, he talked about how Halloween is on a lot of top twenty or or however many best horror films. I think The Godfather is in probably the top five or ten of most best films of all time lists. So yeah. I think <laughs> the, the Godfather was sort of an obvious choice, but absolutely fits. Um, so I want to do something a little less, slightly less conventional, something a little bit newer that's not really an obvious choice. Uh, so that's why I wanted to go with Seven. Um, I think I first saw this movie when I was a teenager because, you know, even when I was, I was eight years old in 1995 when it came out. <laughs> um, and even I think as an eight-year-old, you know, most most eight-year-old boys especially, they're like, Oh man, I want to see that that new movie that's rated R that my parents won't let me see. You know, that's kind of the <laughs> kind of the cool thing when you're eight years old. I didn't want to see Seven. <laughs> really didn't want to see it. Good. It looked ridiculously crazy to me. <laughs> Good. So, um, yeah, and I'm glad I didn't. It would have probably scarred me for life. Um, I don't think I saw it till I was a teenager. Um, and the first time I saw it, it 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 was burned into my brain because it's such a disturbing film. It's so hard to watch. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a film that you have to be in a mood. You have to be in a particular mood to watch it, even though it is so well made. So many great aspects of filmmaking find their way into the film. But usually with something like that, it's like, let's just, let's just watch that. It's such a great movie. We can just throw it on anytime. Seven is not like that. Um, and I think that was, that was a pretty unique aspect of the film. That is a unique aspect of the film that it's so hard to watch and so disturbing, but it's so well revered to this day. Um, it's in the, it's in the top 250. It's actually number 22 on IMDb, which I know you guys aren't real, real, uh, big on that. I, I Halloween's in the top 5,000, by the way. Is it really? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. It's not even in the top 500. Oh, jeez! Wow. Yeah. I I do actually put some stock in the top 250. I appreciate it because it is not. It's not only subject to critic, to critics, mm-hmm. to critical acclaim. It's yeah. It takes in the vote of every single person who votes for it. Um, I, it's more of a. 
you know, it's more, it takes more of a, a sampling of, of people who aren't critics. So that's why I, I appreciate it, but that's a tangent. We'll, we'll discuss that another time, but, sure. um, I think seven seven also gave us. I think it really gave us David Fincher as well, because his first, uh, excuse me, his first major film was Alien Three, <laughs> which is terrible. He was he's talked about it before to an extent. It, he was absolutely hamstrung by the producers and in the studio, and it he doesn't even really claim it anymore. I think if he could, he'd probably take his name off of it. So then after that, uh, we get this dark, disturbing, hard to watch film Seven. Uh, it's so it's so out of character, in my opinion, for for filmmakers to be that that young and that new, and they put they put out a movie like this that's just so out of left field. People didn't know you could make a movie like this. Um, ironically, Halloween's probably a good example of that as well. Uh, John Carpenter wasn't really established yet, um, so that's another coincidence of this this episode. Um, mm-hmm. I think what what people stick to the most about seven is the, the actual murders themselves. If you're unfamiliar with the film, um, there's a serial killer in quotations because some of the people don't end up dying, but he, uh, he takes his victims and he subjects them to, uh, to tortures and deaths that are, uh, sort of influenced by the seven deadly sins. um, and he does it in an incredibly awful way. Um, <laughs> I think the the two the two murders that that stick with me the most. One of them again is not even a murder. Is uh, sloth and probably lust. Oh, I um, knew you were going to say that. Yeah, um, the sloth one is disturbing. What he does is, you know, if you haven't seen the film, or if you have, I'm I'm sure you have if you're listening to this. But uh, you know, he just straps this guy to a bed and it just leaves him there for a year and keeps him alive. Doesn't feed him anything. Keeps him in darkness. Um, the, 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 the part that gets me the most is after they find this guy, they take him to the hospital and the doctor says that, uh, if he was, if he was to shine a flashlight in the guy's eye, he would die of shock. That's how wrecked this person was. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just an abs. I, I can't. I can't imagine a worse thing to do to a person. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, and the way it's depicted in the film, it's so detailed and disturbing and awful. It's just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Um, and that's that's one of the aspects of this film that just sticks with you. You can't thinking about it now. My stomach's churning a little bit. <laughs> um, and it's so it's so rare to find an aspect like that for a film that's so good, that's so critically acclaimed, so highly regarded by fans. It's, it, it is a disturbing horror film. It's, it's just very, it's, it's really unique for that reason. So, uh, I think it sticks out, sticks out for that reason. Um, the movie also has an incredible script. People, people quote it all the time. Um, the other day when I mentioned to Matt and Mike that I was probably going to bring this movie up, Matt quoted, quoted uh, one of the last lines of the movie and I didn't pick up on it because I haven't watched the movie in a while but uh, it was pretty funny it, it just it fit well but uh, there's a lot of good lines in the movie that are delivered by great actors like Brad Pitt and, and Morgan Freeman um, and I think again that's another thing that puts it on the map is that the script has some really great dialogue between this 
the serial killer who we get to we get to meet. It's part of his plan that he turns himself in, and we get to have this great dialogue between him and Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, and also the setup of the characters between Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. They're so they're so very different in in their their worldviews, and also how they do their jobs as detectives. One of them is very intellectual. Uh, he's he, he's capable of. Um, working in in the realm of spirituality and and uh and religious influence and then the other one is just more of a he's more of a cop's cop he's not so intellectual he's more of a more of a bad cop if you will um he he just he just kind of does things he just he just looks at clues and just reacts to them he's not he's not a big hunch guy he doesn't he doesn't want to sit there and analyze everything the way that Morgan Freeman does um, and I think those the, the juxtaposition of those two characters really drives the film during the parts where we're not being absolutely disgusted and shocked by by these these uh, these crimes. Um, I think it's just a, a beautifully structured film, um, and it's it's one that's that's going to stick with you. I don't care who you are. If you watch the movie Seven, it's going to do something. It's going to do something to you. And people a lot of the time will ask ask each other, you know, what do you consider to be art? Um, and what, the way I always answer it is, I think, it, I think that anything can be considered an art as long as it makes you feel something, as long as you have some kind of emotional reaction to it. Um, and a lot of people might not consider Seven to be that great because what it makes them feel is disgusted and disturbed. It's, it's incredibly disturbing. Um, like I said, these are we, we both, me and Mike and I both put forward horror films. I think the Mike, the the film that Mike talked about, Halloween, is scary. It makes you feel very scared. Mm-hmm. I think Seven is disturbing. Oh two yeah, very, there's a difference. Yeah. For sure. Two very different aspects of horror. Um, but I think both of them leave you thinking for a long time. Um, and I think I think Seven sticks with me a little bit more because I find disturbing things scary, scarier than than a guy with a knife, um, which is so, which is realistic. Both of these films are realistic. Actually, they could both happen very easily, but, uh, uh, I, I present to you the movie seven as, as a vault entry, because, uh, it's just something that I, I will never forget the first time I watched it. And, uh, I, I bring it up all the time as, as an unconventional piece of filmmaking art that I think is, I think it qualifies as a vault film, for that reason, because it's it was incredibly popular to use some of Mike's criteria, um, it was very popular uh, in its time. It has it is timeless. It holds up incredibly well. I can't believe it was made in 1995. I was thinking it was like closer to 2000. Yeah. Um, but it, it holds up incredibly well. It's timeless. Uh, I think people will be quoting it for a long time. Um, so that's why I chose Seven for this entry into the vault. Nice, well said. Yeah. Um, Mike, Matt, you want to comment first? Oh, yeah. Since you're gonna, since you're gonna wrap it up. Yeah, your... yeah. Um, I agree com- completely that it's it's uh it's a very disturbing movie. And first of all, Tiny, I want to thank you so much for not going into detail about lust, because yeah. <laughs> um, that is without question one of the most disturbing scenes. I've seen in a movie and yeah. to he just loves somebody too hard. Oh. <laughs> um, and a lot of that is to, um, I should have looked up his name. 
I, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was an alien resurrection playing a similar kind of character. And he's also yeah. in the, uh, in the movie that I'm going to bring up here in a bit, but, um, also playing kind of a shaken up character. He always, he always plays a shaken up, disturbed, frightened character and then he dies. Yeah, exactly. Almost always. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Leland Orser. There you go. Um, phenomenal performance from him. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it makes me just feel so uncomfortable and yeah. it's, it's a, it's a fantastic, fantastic movie in general also. Um, but it's, I really like the movie in, 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 um, like you said, it was kind of Fincher's first, like, kind of big movie that, that you can kind of see this kind of, he's still young and all that, but you can, you can see clearly defined his, uh, his palette. He has a very distinct style and it's yeah. very, very glossy and, and, and dirty, but also, also really, vibrant i would say uh, he, al- I would- he always uses a filter mm-hmm. and he's always static he he. i think one of his mantras is move the, move the camera as little as you can yeah and you can see that in, in a lot of his films absolutely and he's yeah. uh he's it's a fantastic fantastic movie i need to buy it on blu-ray actually but um and it's there all the deaths in it, all the all the the murders and everything. Also, they stick with you. Obviously, like lust is very very um, <laughs> and also like it's it's funny because sloth. What my takeaway from that, like you mentioned, the whole if you shined a light in his eyes, he would die of shock and all that. Mm-hmm. What is ingrained in my mind, and this is a credit to the filmmaking and and the and the uh, direct, uh, the um, cinematography and everything and the kind of set design is when you see them they think that they're they think that they found the the apartment of the killer so they break down the door and they go in SWAT team and all and they find them and what stuck with me so much was hanging off the ceiling throughout the entire bedroom is just air fresheners like yeah. car air fresheners and it's such it's such an it's such a night uh, such a um it's an element that that really brings together kind of what the thought process of this killer. It, it kind of defines, doesn't define the killer's thought process, but it kind of informs on it that he's okay. He's not. He's gonna have this guy be just tormented for a year. What's the best way to make sure no one covers the smell? Uh, yeah. It's it's just it's just a weird kind of kind of thing. Um, it's a weird kind of detail to put into a movie like this because you get caught up in this whole like other movies that kind of have these big other movies try to have these big like oh oh this character is gonna die in the most gruesome way or this character is gonna gonna reach such a gruesome end and all that and then they get kind of for lack of a better phrase they get kind of up their own ass with their idea <laughs> yeah and they they neglect these kind of like little details that, that really help drive the plot and the story and, and really, uh, really characterize the, um, the character committing these crimes. Cause, uh, John Doe, as, as he's called in the movie, um, not to spoil it, I guess, but, um, he's, he has very limited screen time. Right. And, but, but his, his presence in the movie, in that last act, 
is so you get such a such a clear sense of of what he's trying to accomplish and you kind of get a window to his madness mm-hmm. and a lot of that is from these crime scenes you in them on the trail of him is kind of kind of we have these little like almost almost subconscious elements that are just we hear like oh he did this to this guy and he did this to this guy and he did this to this woman and all this and you kind of get like little pieces here and there of his psyche and then you see his his dialogue which is it's like you said it's a phenomenal script from uh andrew kevin walker mm-hmm. um he when he when he speaks and he, and he speaks with such gravitas and such such um, he carries so much weight in every word that he says, because we've been watching his work. All it's it's just a fantastic way to depict a psychopath or or uh, just a madman, and it's it's something that you don't see a lot in that because a lot of people they get a lot of filmmakers they get they make their villain like that the focal point because they feel like that's what audiences need. Um, and what we have in Seven is just a very subdued very very slight kind of um depiction of 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 the serial killer but it's so well informed by all of the detail that precedes him mm-hmm. on screen so i agree completely that's it's a fantastic choice and i i, I love it um yeah. another another interesting part of the film that sets it apart from other horror i think is the fact that we don't see any of the murders we don't we don't watch anyone die right. as far as i can remember um, it's all the aftermath. It's all about these, it's all from the perspective of these two detectives who are coming to the scene after the fact. Um, and, and that's a great, a great part of the film is that it's, it's all just react. It's all just reaction. You know, we don't, that they, they so successfully scared and terrified and disturbed the audience by showing just the aftermath. Um, and I think that's, that is a great skill. That's 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 not easy to do. Um, I think that's that's just a really impressive part of the movie. So, Mike, did you have anything to to say about the? the movie? Yeah, absolutely. Um, couple notes. You mentioned Tiny that you couldn't believe it came out in '95, and I totally agree. Mm-hmm. If you ignore Brad Pitt's suits and the fashion, <laughs> it looks yeah. new. It looks new. It's it's really great. Performances are fantastic. I think it was the first time I ever noticed Brad Pitt as an actor, as as someone who was a good actor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before he was always a face, and and I think other people recognized him as a good actor. I, you know, I was kind of too young to notice, but uh, that was the first time I ever I ever noticed that he was he was skilled in more than just looking pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie is absolutely disturbing for all the reasons we described um but more than that it's bleak and defeating and and that's mm. one of the things that i took from the movie um particularly at the end i'm going to do spoilers here the movie's almost 20 years old <laughs> uh when Brad Pitt shoots John Doe Spacey's character to essentially become wrath my heart breaks it breaks the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Freeman's character is spouting off like the mantra of "life sucks, then you die," or "this yeah. job will break you," or "or ruin you." You you need not be so optimistic because in the end we all die and and everything will suck and 
it will break you and, and all this will happen. And all the while, Pitt maintains optimism. And when he loses it, it absolutely wrecks me. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's so, it's so defeating when, when he finally shoots Spacey. The first time I watched it, uh, was actually our freshman year. Matt, you might remember, yeah. you recommend that I watch it. Nice. And, uh, and none of the killings really disturbed me. I don't know why they, they probably should have. And, uh, I think it was cause I was still into horror at the time and really into horror at the time. And, and just the, the gore was grossing me out in horror. So this like, wasn't hitting that nerve. This wasn't doing that. But the end of the movie, I was just like, Oh, why did they make that decision? And even mm-hmm. the second and third time I watched it over time, it, I didn't feel any better. I, I had problems, um, looking at the art objectively without thinking about how it made me feel when it was over. The kind of, like you said at the beginning, Tiny, how people think it's not a good movie because of how they feel when, when they're done. Right. So in fact, um, over time I've been able to think about it and I, and I have been able to appreciate movies where I am defeated at the end, but I, I haven't watched it since mostly because I don't want to subject myself to feeling the way I do when the end of that movie happens. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. Um, to your point, Mike, about not being really affected by the deaths and all that and you being really into horror, I kind of wonder if that's just because it was all aftermath. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. I think that's absolutely, absolutely it. Cause you don't see any of it. Right. 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 It's a good point. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh that's that's good. Yeah, I definitely it's a fun movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a movie. Yeah. Um yeah, should should, uh, should I go on to mine? Yep, do it. Okay, cool. Well, we've talked about Halloween and in 7, lots of death, lots of uh <laughs> pain. But the movie that I'm going to present to you guys for entry into the obsessive viewer vault is a different kind of horror movie. Oh. The 1998 classic, like uh, modern classic, I guess, would it would still be kind of modern, and, and timeless war movie, Saving Private Ryan. Nice. Yes, by, by newcomer Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this if I were to sum up Saving Private Ryan in, in one word, that I'm not, I forgot to check dictionary.com to see if it's an actual word, but glamorless. It lacks the polish of, of, of movies. It's, it's a high, it's a very, a very big epic movie. It depicts war in, in a, a completely true way. It's and I, I feel like off the top of my head I can't think of really any other war movies that really defined the the war genre of, of World War II movies quite as as well as Saving Private Ryan um, because it depicted in such such a true fashion that the sequence of of D Day the D Day sequence at the beginning is just it's the it's one of the most heart wrenching sequences in all of cinema. And it's just comp- compounded by the fact that this actually happened, and it's a no holds barred kind of 
unhollywood depiction of of this this horrifying thing um that the world was just all a part of um and it's i mean you see you see in typically typically in war movies you see these big action set pieces these big these big like heroics and everything but when you sit down and watch saving private ryan you see a guy with his guts hanging out screaming for his mother you see a guy walking in a daze looking for his looking for his limb um that's yeah, for his that, arm that's that is the most striking scene yeah. for me oh yeah and it's mm-hmm. and it's the the way that it's filmed is so spielberg brings the audience into the into the into the scene in such a cerebral way that it's it's really just jaw just just jarring to see it um and that sequence alone is just it's one of i mean that alone is worth vault is vault worthy in itself um but the movie the movie is incredible in in its depiction of of um kind of the more philosophical or or or, um um moral questions of is is this man worth saving um is he worth the lives of of seven or eight men uh to to save this one guy and is is it really a good uh use of of military resources to to put to put these men in in harm's way when they could be off fighting it kind of it raises some of these interesting questions while also telling a very human story and when you when you meet again this is another movie where you don't there's a central figure that is just spoken about throughout the entire film until the last act when you meet him and it's 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 almost comical because the guys the 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 for those for the two people listening who have never seen saving private ryan it's about a group of people a group of uh um soldiers who are sent on a a needle in a haystack of uh destruction pretty much um to look for for uh, Private James Ryan, who's all of his brothers had been killed in combat and he's the only one left and they're, they're basically finding him on the battlefield and they're, they're bringing him back to, they're gonna, cause they're pulling him out. So these guys are charged with finding him and they go all throughout, all, all through war torn France to, to find him and they're, they, some of them die along the way and it, it's just, it's one of those movies that I, I, when I watch it, it, I get something new from it every time. Because, and you see these these performances of these guys. There's Giovanni Ribisi has this has this scene where they're the guys are in a church um, sleeping one night, and there's a scene where Giovanni Ribisi's talking, and he's like, he's telling the story about how his mother used to come home from work late, and she used to. Um, come in and, and wake him up to t- t- talk about the day or see if he was awake to talk about the day. And it's just, he, he delivers these lines in such a, a painful manner. Cause he's talking about how some nights he would just, he would pretend to be asleep so that she wouldn't come in and, and talk to him. And then he's like, he has such remorse in his voice when he says that, um, all she wanted to do was talk about his, her day and, and, and connect with him. And now he's like, he says this knowing that it's, it's very likely he'll, he'll never see his mother again. And, uh, it resonates in the fact later in a scene later where he's, he's injured. 
um, and he's screaming for his mother and it's just, it's so heartbreaking and it's, it's such, um, it's such a hard depiction of war and what, what war means for, for these soldiers. Cause we're coming off of back in the, back in, uh, a long time ago, there's a lot of propaganda about like, oh, wars. These are the heroes that are fighting our wars and everything. And it's it's like like news, real footage and everything. It was all selling bonds and stuff. But this is like this is now that it's just a modern depiction of of the true nature of war. Um, and it, it plays through to to the end. Um, to the end and. It's just when that scene where the elderly spoiler alert everybody um the elderly uh ryan is is he after he's he's thought about he's he's thought about everything that's happened he goes to his wife and he breaks down and he asks he tells her to tell him that he's been a good man, and it's just because he knows the sacrifice that all these men did. Uh, just to bring him home, and it, I mean, it, it's something that it chokes me up every time. It's it's really, it's a really powerful film on mm-hmm. so many levels, and and Spielberg at his best, um, and and all the actors are are fantastic. Tom Hanks and even Vin Diesel's tolerable. Um, <laughs> it's it's just a, it's a remarkable film, and it's a it's a film that needs to be preserved uh, when the apocalypse hits. So I'm entering it into the vault um, as I stumble through this, uh, this, this analysis. Uh, so what do you guys think of Saving Private Ryan? Uh, I think it's probably the best of the three that we've mentioned. Um, oh, I wish wow. I would have thought of it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. And I think that the point you made that it is a, it is a unique, unique war film in the fact that it doesn't glorify war glorify, it shows you that's what i was looking for <laughs> it, it shows you the ups and the downs it doesn't uh it doesn't throw in heroics which i'm glad you pointed out there's yeah. no no guy who does anything that's really crazy it's just anybody who tries to do anything crazy gets killed yeah. um which is very realistic um war we tr- we tend to think of soldiers and warriors as heroes uh but very rarely do they do anything that we would consider so heroic to the point where they're, you know, running through a battlefield, killing 50 guys that doesn't happen really in war. That's, that is beyond rare. Um, and this film shows that. And I think one of the best ways they show it, excuse me, is, um, it, the film has at some, some points, some scenes, it has a participatory nature to it, the way it's filmed. Um, what stands out to me is the film with, or, or the scene with the sniper, uh, the sniper in the, yeah. the church tower when they, uh, they come across, they come across this other unit and, uh, the way that that part is filmed, it, it feels like, it feels like as the audience, we're hiding behind rocks so we mm-hmm. don't get taken out by the sniper, which is just so, again, an incredible skill to, to convey that via visual context. It's really impressive. Um, that's, that's a great example of it. And, and of course the, uh, the D-Day scene um, is just absolutely iconic. I think that's probably the best actual war scene I can think of. Yeah. Um, and then the last, the last battle where they're in the the small French town and they're trying to, you know, 
protect the bridge. Yeah. Um, which bridges are bridges are hugely important in war, and I'm glad that it was that it came down to that kind of conflict. Um, the I, I love that scene as well because I think a lot of a lot of people who would have made this movie would have treated that ending, that third act, as sort of just a way to wrap everything up. Yeah. But but they throw in this amazing battle that's so detailed and you see every facet of it, how it's planned, how they draw them in. There's there's long takes where there's no dialogue. It is so impressive. Um, and I, one of the things I love about the film as well is they throw in this... The, it's so easy for war movies to just be, just be camaraderie and then just, you know, bullets flying. But what this movie does is it throws in a lot of, a lot of the down, a lot of the downtime, a lot of the waiting, a lot of the just walking. And they fill it with this beautiful character development. Like Matt mentioned where uh, Giovanni Ribisi's character talks about his, his mother when he would would sleep. And um, some of the other characters talk about, you know, right before they left for, for their basic training for the war. Um, Matt Damon's character has a great, a great uh, anecdote about before his oldest brother first went off to, went off to war that he tells to uh, Tom Hanks's character. And that stuff is almost equally as compelling as anything in the film. Absolutely. And, and a lot of it hinges on, it hinges on so many different things. It hinges on incredible performances from the actors, great writing and, in immersive filmmaking. It's all just, it's, it's a borderline perfect film. In my opinion, it's, it's really, really fantastic. Absolutely. It's a, it's a confluence of so many different, um, different things about filmmaking that that's all comes together to this just masterwork of, of cinema. And it's, it's what's even more, what makes me happy about that is that it's, it's an important it's an important movie also and it because it's i mean it gives a very harsh and real depiction of world war 2 and it's a part of our history that is 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 i mean it's it's devastating and it's and right that's that's yeah. one thing i didn't bring up is that if you could throughout recorded human history if you could point to one event that's been influential or has changed the world you have to point it, it can only be world war 2 it is in the span of 6 years the the lowest estimates say that 20 million people died in six years. That is, there's no other event in human history that has been that, that important, that destructive and, and, and influential in, in the course of human history. So yeah. that's, that's another thing I didn't, I didn't mention. So yeah, absolutely. I agree. 110%. Mike, uh, what are, yeah. what are your thoughts on it? We kind of left you out. Yeah. Sorry. Mm. Oh, that's okay. No, you didn't let me out at all. I was you're, just, not, you're not a big war film fan, are you? I am not. I am not a big war fan. However, I really can't disagree with a lot of what you guys have said. Um, I really love the movie a lot. I really, really love Saving Private Ryan a lot. It's not one of my favorites, um, and it's not even on my list of top 25. But it's like when people say, oh, what about Saving Private Ryan? I go, oh, yeah, that, that movie was pretty good. <laughs> Let's look at the criteria. Uh, in terms of critical acclaim, uh, it got robbed at the Oscars in 1998. Absolutely. Of course, we all know it lost to um, Shakespeare in Love, mm-hmm. which which is thievery. I mean, that <laughs> Shakespeare in Love is is a fun movie, but it is nowhere near the weight uh, and influence that 
um, Saving Private Ryan brought us. Critically, however, I mean, it was praised. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I, I don't understand, I don't understand the politics of, of why what happened happened. Um, critically, it was praised. Also, several people that I've run into that I've spoken to about movies, um, and I, and I do it to almost everybody. What, what is your favorite movie? It is one of the most common answers. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's either that or like, I love you, man, is, is, another, <laughs> is another common one. But a favorite movie is a very personal thing. And, and it's, um, it's always fun to pick a favorite movie that not, not many other people have. Uh, and so it's rare that I find people who share the same favorite movie. But Saving Private Ryan is one of those ones that I've actually heard a number of times. And I think that says something about the movie. As far as timeliness, uh, it came out in 1998, which, interestingly enough, we were relatively at peace as a country. (laughs) So it wasn't so indicative of the time. Uh, However, it's a period piece, so that isn't so important. Um, What was important was what it did for film. Um, And it it revolutionized pretty late in the game war films. We've seen countless copies since. Absolutely. Um, it's clearly it's clearly a work of art. Um, as far as timelessness, uh, I mean, you guys have hit on this multiple times. Just the the weight of World War II and the importance of knowing mm-hmm. about World War II. World War II movies will always be timeless. But more than anything, um, just the character arcs are are timeless. Are are we doing this for a good reason? Is one person worth the lives of all these people and ultimately the decision is yes and ultimately a lot of uh our decisions in humanity have to do with saying yes one one person is worth that and i think that's awesome those criteria aside uh what i love most about the movie are the performances i love tom hanks i mean he's Mm. easily one of my favorites Mm -hmm. Uh, i love um Adam Goldberg was a favorite of mine and, oh, yeah. and watching him die slowly was heartbreaking. Uh, that was one of the, I meant to bring that up that that's, that's a horror element in the movie. Yeah. It's, it's <clears throat> just, and it's so, oh, it's so hard to watch and it's yeah. so painful. Um, um, and then, uh, I love my favorite scene in the movie is from what I understand is the improvised scene where Matt Damon is telling, uh, is telling Tom Hanks' character about uh, a story about he and his brothers from the past. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I don't remember it because I've I've maybe seen the movie three times. It's a marathon of a movie. It is. So two, you definitely have to set aside time. Yeah, two hours um, forty nine minutes. Two. Yeah. So I've only seen it uh, definitely two, maybe three times. Huh. It's uh, the story is that his brothers were. It was the night before his oldest brother went off to basic, and they. Woke him up in the middle of the night, and they were basically they had like the ugliest girl in town uh-huh. in the barn, and they uh, they were offering her to 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 the to the brother, I guess, and the brother's like, no, I'm not going to do that, and then uh, spills a kerosene lantern, and everything goes up, and then it's a it's a funny anecdote and everything, but I I I remember it because you said that you you've watched it like three times. I've mm-hmm. I remember there was I was too young to probably be watching it, but. There was a string when I was when I was a lot younger where I watched this movie every day. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, I I had not the time. 
to spend three hours watching that movie. I mean, honestly, this, it's three hours if you take pee breaks. Yeah, this is this is back when I was like kind of and it was in school and I was, I was kind of a kind of kid. But it was basically every day for a week. I'd, I'd, I'd come home, sit down, watch the movie and then just just be in awe of it every time. It's so rich with 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 so much stuff going on that it's 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 something that that offers repeat viewings if you can stomach it well just because there's so much to watch <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah. it's two hours and 46 yeah exactly long. but about um, that but that oh. story uh is is my favorite scene in the movie because it reminds me of it reminds me of some of my favorite short stories which are not really great stories but they're just kind of like glimpses into the life of someone yeah, and that is that is the best glimpse into the life of any of the characters in that movie, and I love the way Matt Damon plays it. Yeah. Um, and I'll finish before Matt, you continue to stomp all over my turn. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry. Ultimately, more than anything, this movie succeeds in uh, in the game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the ultimates. Ted Danson yeah. is in this movie. Yeah. Nathan Fillion's in it, too. Nathan Fillion is in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Finn Diesel. An unknown Paul Giamatti. <laughs> yes. Paul Giamatti was in it. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tons of people in it. Tons of people. Yeah. Dennis Farina is in it, who oh, just passed right. away a year or two ago. Yeah. Um, Brian Cranston's in it, barely. Yes, he is. He's in, in the beginning, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um... And and about the about that story that Matt Damon told, I, I almost I we would be remiss if if we didn't bring up the, or I would be remiss if I didn't bring up that after he's done telling that story to Tom Hanks, there's this scene where Matt Damon plays in, incredibly well, where he's like he's laughing and he's he's remembering this story about his brothers and it kind of this this look just it it just dawns on him that he's never going to see his brothers again. And he kind of has this look of pain and he's like, mm-hmm. he kind of, he kind of shields it a little bit from, from Tom Hanks, uh, his character, but you can kind of see it's kind of subtle on his face that it's just, it's kind of, it kind of stuck with me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as someone with, with siblings. Um, yeah. So, uh, that's, that's seven private Ryan. So we, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we've offered into the vault um, discussion three movies, Saving Private Ryan, Seven, and Halloween. Um, how do you guys want to do this? Uh, do, yeah, how did we do it before? We did votes where like each one, we had one vote. Our pick was our one vote, and then we would each pick one of the other two. So do you guys want to do that again or just throw? I don't know. I'm fine with putting all three in or either one. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I'm fine with it, too. Looking at them, I have a feeling I can tell which one's going to be cut. (laughs) (laughs) If we do it the old way. Yeah, I don't want to do it the old way, though, because I feel like all three of them really deserve to be in. So it is said, so it shall be done. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nice. Uh, I like it. They're in. Why not? Yeah, why not? Uh, so those those are the uh, those are the three movies in, in our vault. They they join the likenesses of The Godfather, Pulp Fiction, and Back to the Future. Which earlier in the episode, did I say that The Godfather was my pick? I think you I might think have. You did. Yeah, I think you I did. did, and that's yeah. not. You said the case. you forgot your pick. 
Yeah. <laughs> I I literally did. Because I had no idea. Um <laughs> yeah, apologize. Apologies, but um yeah, uh so it joins the the these three movies join the likenesses of The Godfather, Pulp Fiction, and Back to the Future uh in our vault, which um is hypothetical. Are we going to have to buy a literal vault and start putting the DVDs in there or Blu-rays? I kind of want to. That would be that would be fun. We should get it. We should get a safe deposit box or something. Yes. <laughs> yes, I like it. Another another monetary endeavor for this podcast yes. that we make no money on. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you guys want to donate money. Yeah, there's always yeah. that. I like Amazon gift cards. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Cool. All right. Call it a night. Uh, I think so. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to want to mention before we before we kick off here or before we get off? <laughs> um, I wanted to mention really quick. Um, I am actually getting ready to uh, expand my podcasting uh, podcasting endeavors as well. Um, yes. I'm getting ready to start a podcast. It's going to be called the Secular Perspective. Uh, it's going to be a podcast about um, my. Uh, opinions towards religion and belief and things like that. Um, so, you know, lighthearted stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it's actually, I, I would like to have a lot of people on from, ver- from various viewpoints. Um, we've mentioned before that, um, the three of us are, are pretty much non-believers and in, in various different, uh, definitions of, of non-belief. Um, and so I, I, I want to have as many people on it as I can who, who want to participate and, and talk about their beliefs and their faith and how they, how that influences their, their worldview and, and their opinions on things. So, um, it's going to be about that. And it's, it's going to be a very different format than what we do here. Um, I think a lot of it's going to be very individual, very, very monologue based. Um, I, I kind of have some stuff recorded already that's, that's just myself. Um, Matt's in the process of making one. Um, yeah. It's going to be stuff kind of, you know, we'll, we'll see stories and, and articles online and stuff like that. And we'll kind of react to them from our viewpoint and, and, uh, and how, how it affects our opinions. So, um, it's, it's going to be very different, but we are going to have some discussions. I, I think I have a friend who's, uh, who's actually a, a certified preacher and, and he and I are going to have a, a discussion and, and a debate. There might be, there might be a lot of that. So if you're interested in that at all, um, check it out no pressure i realize it's again it's very different from what we do here right um but yeah uh check that out it's going to be uh, the secular perspective it'll probably be up within a few weeks i'm not exactly sure yet i'm still kind of putting some things together um there will not be a blog it'll be just the podcast um so yeah you'll be able to find it on itunes so check that out if you're interested yes yeah i'm really looking forward to this I, i can't tell you how much i am actually um it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Should be uh, good. Yeah. And of cool. course, check out obsessivebooknerd.com. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so should I sign us out? Yep. All right. Well, it. take it home. Yep. Thank you for listening to the second vault into the vault episode of the obsessive viewer podcast. Uh, you can find us online at the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, uh, which now that I've, we've launched the book website. I can finally focus more attention to it. Cause I've been kind of a little shaky on it between the gallbladder and, and the book site. But, um, you can also find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter at our respective handles at obsessive viewer at obsessive tiny at I am Mike white. And, uh, you can also find us on, uh, iTunes, Stitcher radio. If you could on iTunes rate and review us, that helps us out a ton. 
Um, and then also tell all your friends, all that stuff. Uh, you can also find us on podcastland.com, uh, where you can, um, vote for us for podcast of the month. Also, thank you to star tissue for the theme music at the head of the podcast. And, um, you can email us at ovpodcast at gmail.com. And I think that about covers it. Am I forgetting anything, guys? That ought to do it. Sounds good. All right. Awesome. Well, see you guys next week. Thanks. See you guys. Are you reading it again? <laughs> the Dark Tower? Oh, absolutely. It's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, the whole, all of them, all of them. Good luck. Oh, thank you. You got to understand, Mike, this is like my Ender's game. Yeah, I guess you're right. I'm really looking forward to it. It's like, it's like lost. If lost was a, a bunch of pages with words on it. <laughs> Perfect analogy. <laughs> yeah.